Treasury the Fan. Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show, sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, hello and welcome to the Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey, president of Wilsey Asset Management. Thanks for joining the show today. Uh, a lot of great things to talk about. We're going to talk about uh, economic news. I mean, that's very important right now. It's really scaring people. We'll talk about some things that maybe will make you feel a little bit better. Talk about apartment rents. We've talked about this before. Um, also, too, capital gain taxes. Got some interesting information on uh, that for you. And then we still got to talk about the crypto market because we keep saying that slowly, slowly, one by one, they keep falling apart, falling apart. So we want to keep you abreast of what's going on in the crypto market. And back from his uh, honeymoon from Bora Bora, back in the house is Chase. Chase, great to have you back. Great to be back. You know, it was a, a lot of fun while I was uh, gone, but it feels weird to be gone for too long. And I miss doing the show. So, so happy to be back. And you know how to hit all the buttons and everything. Yeah, I, 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 everything. I was like, is my mic on right now? But no, we're, we're good and, you know, happy to be back and happy to take your calls as always. You want to join the show. Phone number here is 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. And it was crazy because, you know, in Bora Bora, the weather was, you know, 80s every day. Right. It's like temperature controlled, like 78 to 82 whole day is that human it was probably human it was human there yeah Yeah. and then you know i see back here it's raining and then there's (laughs) snow and i'm like oh my gosh people are talking about having issues flying into lax because of potential snowstorm i'm like oh man right (laughs) great time to be gone (laughs) and and one thing we have to do chase is we got an email from tom uh probably about a couple weeks ago about 3 a.m we got to try to hit that today because it's been in my folder to do it comes up and then we don't get to it so let's try to hit 3 a.m today for tom uh, I guess he listened by podcast, so yep. he'll uh, get it that way. But let's, let's move on and talk about the economic news because some people wonder why I don't get so upset over the negative econo- uh, economic news that comes out. In the first half of last year, I kept saying, yes, it'll be a difficult year, but we're not going to have a major recession. Looking back at some headlines, and I, I just love doing this because it really makes you realize, like, oh, that was kind of silly. Uh, in March of 2022, Goldman Sachs economists were forecasting a 20 to 35% chance of an economic contraction within 12 months. The CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, <clears throat> Jamie Dimon, used the word hurricane in the economy going forward, and Bank of America predicted a mild recession would hit before the year closed. And I got to say, too, that that Jamie Dimon thing really upset me because I remember looking at that headline. Mm -hmm. And then, again, you read the article, and he's saying, basically, uh, you know, we don't know what the potential effects are going to be from, you know, monetary tightening. And there could be a hurricane. There's hurricane clouds building. But then he also said, you know, but things could kind of go on, essentially, and paraphrasing, of course. And it's, of course, that headline that's a negative one that makes the, the news, not the one that says, well, you know, things could be okay. And, and, and that's and I'm glad you brought that up because it is true because he actually kind of said, well, that's not quite what I said. He used the word, but the media just blew it out like, oh, see, we're going to have a major problem economically and so forth. And and they just want to make things as bad as possible. And that's why we look at what we call raw data and don't listen to it. And again, we respect Jamie Dimon. I think he's a great CEO. 
but we listen to the other words, not just that sound bite they pulled. Yeah, I mean, because you listen to the, the CEOs still talk from the big banks. They're still <clears> talking <throat> how consumers are still spending. They yeah. have all that data from the checking accounts, debit cards, credit cards. And again, the consumer's still there, and they've talked about that, but no, that doesn't make the news. And actually kind of talking about that raw data, looking at the numbers, fast forward from the fourth quarter of 2021 to the fourth quarter of 2022, the U.S. economy grew at 1%. It's easy to be negative, but one really must look again at the data and say, where will we be 12 to 24 months from now? I think our economy will continue to move along and inflation will continue to decline slowly. With that said, I will continue to invest in good quality public companies and see what they will be worth in the next 12 to 24 months as well. Yeah, and, and this is one thing that people get so upset, uh, like, oh, you know, things are going to crash and this, and, and they hate Joe Biden. And I will say, I don't think he's the best president ever, but we've got a system that will get us on through. And you're not going to like some things, but instead of focus on the, all the negative, look at overall things. And, and again, we watch Fox Business, you know, I, and, and they Fox is known for being on that side, CNN, which I think is coming down a little bit, is known for the other side. If you're watching that stuff, you're going to get a distorted view. Kind of step back and say, well, what's really going on? And, and we've talked about different things. We talked about the price of lumber falling. We've talked about container shipping falling. I mean, all these other things are out there. And if you're still listening to the news, and, and that's what those news people job is, is to get your emotions going. And, and I got to say, damn, they do a great job of getting people's emotions going. But it doesn't help with your investing at all is the problem. And I, I got to say, too, is that the political side of the equation. And, and you and I have our political favorites, I'll say. Mm -hmm. But, gosh, people make the stupidest decisions based off politics. Mm -hmm. they say, oh, you're not looking at it. Joe Biden is crashing this economy. The economy is just <laughs> falling apart. Well, what numbers are supporting that? Well, do you see what he's doing? Right. And it's just such a political game. And the thing that we always come back to is these CEOs of companies, they don't care if Joe Biden's president. Of course, maybe they don't like all the regulations, but they're not closing their doors and saying, well, we're not going to try and get new business. Right. And guess what? In a few years, maybe now your candidate's in office. Well, now you could have missed a big run up or maybe the stock market goes up. And then now again, you're left with the question, what do you do? Playing politics when you invest is, in my opinion, one of the stupidest things you can do. And it's a very harsh word when I use stupid, but I, I got to say that. It, it is yeah. a stupid decision because ultimately it doesn't have a major long-term impact on businesses. Sure, you're going to have maybe regulation come in and that's going to hurt companies. But again, 10 years from now, there's going to be changes to that regulatory environment that, that could be more beneficial down the road. So right. don't play politics. It's a, it's a stupid decision to make. Yeah, things will ebb and flow. And, and, and I've said for years, don't pay attention to politics because your, your emotions get out of whack and you're not thinking. And what is our slogan that we've had for many, many years? No emotions, just results. Because I've said there is no room for emotions in, in investing which is it, with politics, it happens because people get very emotional about it. And and again, I uh, I did not vote for Joe Biden. I don't I don't think he's a good president. But I'm not going to fold up my tent and go home and and just put everything in the cash because I've said this for many years, probably 20 years. CEOs will find a way around whoever is in that White House. And you may not like things. Maybe it's not the perfect situation, but they will find a way to sell their product. Consumers will find a way to consume. And that's why we look at, you know, the the um, amount of money in the economy, the M2. We look at uh, the job market, all these things that if you're just saying, oh, I hate Joe Biden, he's terrible, you know, he fell down the, the steps or whatever. It's like, that doesn't matter. It's the economy. So focus on, on that. And, and uh get off the political side a little bit. And again, very emotional for people. But let's move on to something that uh, I've talked about and uh, apartment rents. And, and as I suspected, the large increase 
in apartments is putting downward pressures on rents. Uh, nationwide, rents have fallen about 3.5% since August. It was also the first time in five years that rent fell every month over the preceding six months. And, and here in San Diego, if one drives almost anywhere in San Diego, you see new apartment buildings going up. And nationwide, we are seeing the biggest supply of apartments delivered since 1986 with nearly a half million apartments coming online. And and this is really good for two reasons. First is that obviously people will be spending less money on rent. And the second reason as well is this will ease some of the inflation pressure since housing is such a large part of the CPI. So this is great news in my opinion. The other thing that I, I, I wanted to talk about as well is it could put pressure on housing prices. Yes. Because ultimately when you're looking at housing, it should be a function of rent. Mm-hmm. If you can rent out your house for X, that should then create a derivative of what the housing price is. If rents are falling, that means your house is probably worth less. So this is something, again, that I think is going to add pressure to the real estate market. And the other thing it does, too, is that before people are saying, oh, well, I can buy a house about the same as I can rent a house or, or yeah. apartment or whatever. Well, that will be changing. And the other thing I always say people forget, well, they forget about the opportunity loss or cost of uh, not investing that money <laughs> using down payment. But besides that, you, you, you kind of look at that and people say, well, gee, I, c- I can rent something for 2500 or I can buy something for $3,500. Uh, yeah, I think I'll, I'll rent. And the other thing this will do as well is that if rents are coming down and you're in a rental situation and your landlord's having trouble getting people in, he, they may give you an incentive or not raise your rent. So this is positive. And it doesn't mean on Monday everything's going to be great. And this is why we project out 12, 24 months because these are things building now that are trends that will happen throughout 2023. And I think 2024, it's a positive trend. So the, this is why we look at the raw data, as we call it. And, and the other thing I was thinking about as well is when you actually look at multifamily like housing permits mm-hmm. and housing starts, they're quite elevated to the long-term yeah. average. So this is in 2023, but it's not like those housing permits and housing starts for those multifamily starts are going to be coming on in 2023. Those take quite a while to build and get Mm -hmm. going. That kind of creates a runway, not just for this year, but I think for 2024, 2025. And and this is one reason I, I, I love capitalism, is when there's an issue, what generally happens, the market kind of fixes itself. Yeah. There's a rush to it. Well, unfortunately, many times there's too much of a rush and then it causes <laughs> prices to fall. The market's kind of going to be self-correcting. And, and uh, again, this is appearing what's going to happen due to the, the I think, the substantial amount of the multifamily housing coming online. And you always have this lag because, you know, developers in six months ago say, oh, let, let's let's build this apartment building. They probably started that at least probably two years ago because you got to go through the, the phase of the permits and, and, and everything else you have to go through. That takes time. And this always happens with housing is that you, you've got the big demand. The builders, developers go, oh, we got to fill this demand. Well, it takes them two to three years to get that started. By the time they get it started, like, oh, things have changed. And, you know, this this will cause many times the booms and buses that they, yeah. they, they, they get the supply on market. But it's usually three late, three years late because it takes time to do that. So uh, things are changing in the real estate market. Um, I, I think for the good, it will help inflation. And I did want to say one other thing. It It is another post we wrote, but I just want to bring out this number just while we're on the real estate market. It's actually look at mortgage demand. Yeah. It was down 44% last week to purchase a new home. That actually registered a 28-year low. So really? There, there's, again, a lot of these issues ensuing in the real estate market. And 
you know, I, I think we've seen a little bit of a pullback, but I, I think you're going to see more of a pullback just because you can't have interest rates at 7%. Unfortunately, I don't see interest rates falling because right. why we said we think inflation is going to decline, I don't think it's going to be to that 2% level by this year. So I think the Fed is not going to cut this year. You see maybe interest rates fall maybe middle of next year and kind of right. see where we're at then. But you just can't have housing prices maintain themselves and have interest rates more than double. Right. It just doesn't work. And I still can't understand why somebody would buy a house in this market. Unless, you, again, you're looking to have a house to raise your family, you want those schools, but any other reason to buy a house, I just don't get it. Again, 28 years, the lowest demand on mortgages in 28 years, you said. What does that tell you? Like, people are not doing it. Prices have, when, when that happens, prices have to fall to bring back that demand. And you just bought a house for, I don't know, a million dollars, falls 10%, you just lost 100 grand. Yeah. So, I mean, try to be smart with your money and, uh, you know, don't, th that's another thing with emotions. Oh, and then it is, it's so fun to get a new house and, oh, wow, this is ours and so forth. It's a big asset. But if you step back and say, wait a minute, maybe this is not a good time to do this. So, um, just kind of get your emotions out of investing is yeah. uh, you'll do much better. Uh, let's talk about capital gains taxes because one of the major benefits of being a long-term investor is the benefit of capital gains taxes. Uh, rather than ordinary income rates uh, at the federal level, gains are taxed at zero, 15%, or 20% as long as the position is held for more than 365 days. Now, in 2023, the standard deduction and income thresholds for capital gains increase which is a benefit for investors. And I think a lot of people may not realize that they could be in this bracket, but in fact, you may qualify for the 0% long-term capital gains rate with taxable income of $44,625 for uh, single filers and then $89,250 or less for married couples filing jointly. Now, what this means is actually you can still be able to make over $100,000 as a married couple and be in the 0% range because you got to take into account the standard deduction. Yep. So you add back, I think it's around $27,000 to that $89,000. Yeah, you're well above $100,000 $100, there. Right. Not to mention, if you save money in your 401k, take that tax deduction, oh, yeah. that reduces your taxable income. I mean, if you and your spouse are both maxing out your 401ks, let's say, I mean, there's another, just make it easy, about $40,000 yeah. that you can get there. I mean, you could get close to a little over 150000 essentially to be in that 0% tax bracket, which is pretty crazy. And, and, and again, as a married couple, you make $140,000 a year. Uh, you, you're maxing out your 401ks. Uh, you're going to pay 0% on your capital gains. Why in the world would you go buy a house? You know, you're, you're not going to, your, your net worth will increase much faster than that 401k. And there will be a time to buy a house again where you get a, a good deal. Right now is not the time to do it, but gosh, you can pay zero tax on your investments and your 401ks. And uh, I, what a great deal. I mean, it's a, it's an awesome deal. And I, I think a lot of people, they, they don't factor this in when they're, they're doing kind of their tax planning. And, you know, Harrison obviously joined us, our financial planner, every show. Yeah. But we <clears> talk a lot about this. And he's like, yeah, a lot of people don't realize it. But there's so much you can do for the tax planning side of the equation to get people into those brackets. And, you know, sometimes people, they, they try and do the tax loss harvesting. But the thing that I, I kind of chuckle at, unfortunately, 
is they may not realize they're in the 0% federal <laughs> bracket, so you're taking these tax losses and they may not even be helping you. Yeah, yeah, and, and people don't realize that. You're right, because they think, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna save on taxes. Like, you save nothing, you just cause yourself more of a headache to do the tax loss harvesting, which the way we do it does take a lot to do, but it works out well, but we don't do it for our, our smaller accounts because they're probably paying no tax or even 15% tax. You know, it's it's many times not worth it. On our, our lovely state here in California, we still got to pay our state income oh, tax, unfortunately, yeah. on that, but I digress. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's progress to uh, the uh, crypto market because another hit to the crypto market, Silvergate Capital SI, a cryptocurrency-focused bank, plunged 58% in a single day of trading this past week. The reason for the massive decline was the company delayed its filing for the annual report as is needed more time to assess, I like this, additional losses, <laughs> regulatory scrutiny, and the big one, its ability to continue as a going concern. In other words, they may not be able to operate for another 12 months. This is a major hit towards a potential bankruptcy, not hint. Not hit, but hint. <laughs> well, it could be a hit, too. Yeah, both, both, I guess. Yeah, I should let that go. <laughs> the thing we look at as well is we've stayed away from crypto and will continue to stay away from crypto. We've seen the fall of FTX and other exchanges as well that have made the news. And now the major concern for Silvergate leads us to believe there are more issues around the corner with more exchange exchanges. I'm going to say hint, hint, perhaps Binance. Oh, yeah, we've talked about that that company a lot. And I just don't know if they're going to be able to avoid all the other issues that the exchanges have had. And I think if Binance falls, you're going to see some major issues with the crypto right. market because that's kind of, I think, the last big one that's out there. Obviously, there's Coinbase as well. Um, if they fell, I mean, I, I think it'd, it'd be done for crypto. But the thing that we also look at is it continues to fuel my belief that the argument for wider adoption of these cryptos, well, it's fading fast. I mean, people are, oh, you know, you had all these exchanges opening, kind of like we talked about capitalism, right? Right. All the supply came online, but that was what people were kind of, oh, you see, like now this there, you can get crypto here, you can get crypto here, crypto.com, you could get it anywhere. And it was making it appear as it was being adopted quite quickly. Well, now that adoption is shrinking. And I think it's going to make it harder for people to get it in crypto. And yeah, maybe the best way to do it, and I've heard people, oh, just do the digital wallet. I'm sorry. The digital wallet is confusing as <laughs> heck to me. I, I don't want to waste my time on that because I still don't see the utility of cryptocurrency. At, at the end of the day, that's why I will never touch crypto. I don't see the utility for it. And, and also, it's very complicated. And again, okay, do that. Well, if you lose your password, you can never get in. You've lost your money, which we've talked about. There's probably money tied up in that forever because people lost their passwords, can't find it. It is just going to be, uh, there's no reason for this. And we still have your advocates, oh, you don't get it and so forth. They're still, they're still out there. But the thing we're trying to talk to people, if you have crypto, question yourself, why am I doing this? And we talked about Binance. Um, I was kind of thinking about that. One or two things. I mean, this could be a positive for them because maybe they'll get all this other business. But the thing that we talked about over a year ago was auditing these companies. Yeah. They, they had stuff in the Cayman Islands, had all this other stuff, and oh, well, we got a special audit. The audits were terrible. Well, now, because the government's saying, we need to audit these companies, and they're they're doing that, and like with Silvergate, oh, well, no, it's not good there. I think Binance, and we've heard nothing about their audit yet, I think if they have a true audit, you're gonna find the same thing. There's a lot of problems that they have, and you'll, you'll have a big shutdown. Well, the thing you have to think about <clears throat> is, how do banks operate, right? Banks hold assets for people. 
but then they store those assets essentially and they'll lend them out and they're 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 backed by reserves and that's where the audit comes into play well my question is for all these crypto companies when they get these deposits are they taking any of those deposits and storing them and like lending them out perhaps or investing them let's say they they're taking their assets and then investing them in crypto well if crypto fell from 70,000 in bitcoin down to we'll call it 22,000 around where it's at now do they have enough in reserves to have that liquidity for let's say if there is a bank run and that's what these stress tests look at for banks right. is if there's a huge change in the economy right and unemployment spikes real estate falls the stock market falls can those banks still remain solvent there's nothing like that for these crypto exchanges no, no. and quite frankly there should be if that's going to be an asset class and i don't think they would pass any type of situation oh, like that, if yeah. we had a huge issue and crypto fell 40%, 50%, 60%, and the economy started declining, because I think crypto obviously would decline much faster than other areas. So I, I just don't see how they would remain solvent, quite honestly. And, and crypto is a currency, uh, but the problem is you've got to make it easy for people to use and to understand it. And if you have these things falling apart, <clears throat> like Silvergate, uh, FTX, it's making it harder and harder for people to do anything with it. And if Binance goes that route, it's like, well, what do you have? You have nothing. So it's just. I'm going to push you back on that <clears> one <throat> because some people say crypto is not a currency. It's well, an asset class and it's an investment, oh, man, you know? Crazy. So it's, what is it at the right. end of the day? You have people that say different things about it. And it, that's my big issue with it is there's no true definition for it of, of quite frankly, its purpose. Right. And people say blockchain. Banks use blockchain. Yeah. Banks can use blockchain. Yeah, black, black, blockchain, blockchain is not exclusive to crypto. Uh, but people that are pro-crypto, oh, yeah, but the blockchain, they're trying to get reasons why it's good. And and it's false reasons what they're coming up with. And we have seen a lot of people lose money in crypto, and there's going to be more if they kind of stay in that path. There was no reason at all for Bitcoin or Ripple or all these other ones that are out there. It was just a hype that happened. And when you and you brought up the asset class, that was another. Oh, it's an asset class. Just trying to justify. Remember? Oh, it's like the the uh, digital gold. Digital gold. Yes. Yeah. Like it's it's all hype that gets people to lose money. Just go out and buy a good food company. Be happy with an annual return of ten percent over the next ten years. Stop trying to to become a millionaire in a short time frame because you. And I've seen people that get to be in their fifties and sixties, and they've tried these hype things, and they have a very very poor retirement because they've lost all the potential and they've lost the years of compounding. I mean, if you're 25 years old, like, gosh, just start putting your money when you're 401k, earn 10%, you'll, you're going to do great, but stop getting into these high, high risk things. One last thing that I wanted to sure. talk about on the crypto is just how we were talking about the digital wallet. Yeah. I saw this thing on uh, social media the other day and I've heard stories like this before, but it was just this guy, I guess has like $200 million in Bitcoin, but he has two attempts left on his. Oh gosh. <laughs> and it's like, Again, this is something that with crypto that there may be a floor for Bitcoin because this is going to continue to be a problem. They're not going to fix this problem ever. Once you get locked out, I think that Bitcoin is just basically dead water. Yeah. So you're creating this class where the supply continues to shrink because not because, you know, people are so excited about it because right. now they can't access it anymore. Yeah. And it, it, it's just 
it's craziness. So I, yeah. I, I don't and, like crypto. It drives me crazy. And, and we talk about try to help people out. And if you know somebody that has crypto, I mean, just just talk to them about it. They, they, they're very emotional. Again, no no room for investing in a, with emotions. And that's what they're doing with crypto. So that, that's why we do it, to kind of keep you posted what's going on with it. Uh, if you want the free newsletter, because we get this information from the newsletter that we do. It goes out every Friday at 5 o'clock. It is free. Other topics we talk about in the newsletter this week were natural gas, the U.S. power grid, uh, venture capital funding, Bitcoin's future, a different article on Bitcoin, real estate, ESG bill. Again, this is all free information. It probably takes you about four to five minutes to read the newsletter, but you get a lot of great information out for it. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. Again, that's smartinvesting2000.com. Go right to the center of the page. You'll see up on the, uh, the middle there, it says sign up for our newsletter. Do that, and you'll get the free newsletter. All right, uh, coming up, uh, we got Harrison coming up later. He's going to talk about alternative investments and retirement accounts. We do have our phone lines are open uh, for the calls for that unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about you what you want to talk about. Phone number eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. That's eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. And as promised, let's talk about 3M for who was at Tom here, because Tom does say, uh, I love to listen to the show via podcast and was wondering if you could look at 3M. I currently own the stock and I'm wondering if it's a good time to buy more. Now, a couple of things Tom didn't give us like, well, it could be a good time to buy more, but did not mention how much he owns percentage wise in his portfolio. Yeah, I, I generally tell people if you own one, two percent, yeah, it could be a good time, depending on, of course, the company. If you own like seven, eight percent. No, you're going to over-concentrate yourself in a company. And, and we always tell people, I mean, as much as we like the companies we invest in, you never know what's going to happen. Remember this little thing called COVID? COVID. Gee, yeah. that brings us a slight bill. <laughs> Nobody knew what was going to happen. And I mean, honestly, it destroyed a lot of retail companies yeah. and destroyed the, the fundamental concept of investing in those. So, I mean, you never know what's going to happen to a company. We talk about China. There's all these different things that can arise. That's why you never want to be over-concentrated into a company. And, and I guess I'm a little bit excited to kind of look at 3M because it's a business that we would like to buy. No, they've had legal problems, which is one thing that uh, I'll say before you look at the numbers, you've got to look at what those legal problems are because it can go on for a while and cost them money. Uh, and then will they pull out of this? So let's take a look at the 3M. Their symbol is MMM. Uh, only 2.4% float uh, on the short side. So people don't think it's going to go down that much. 68.5% uh, institutional ownership. That's lower than I thought it would be. Uh, you do have a good P.E. ratio of 10.9 versus 11.5. Price of sales expense of 1.9 versus 0.6. Price to book value 4.2 versus 1.1. And price of cash flow is also expensive, 11.3 versus 7. And I will point out there's no peg ratio, which is your price earnings divided by growth. For the industry, it's 45, nothing for 3M. So I, I don't like uh, seeing no peg ratio there. Uh, we do see over the last year, their earnings are up 0.6%. Uh, sales did decline by 3.2%, but the industry was up 21.2%. Uh, they are in the industry of conglomerates, so that's really not helpful because conglomerate can be though, any type of industry, so that doesn't really help you much there. Uh, we do see they pay, wow, a 5.4% dividend, only use 58% of the earnings to pay that out. Taking a look at the balance sheet, uh, current ratio 1.5, better than the industry at 1.4. Debt to equity, 1.1, about the same as the industry, so I'm okay with that. Uh, we do see a net profit margin of 16.9 versus 6.6. .6. That is good. Uh, return on equity, 39.2 versus 15.8. Return on invested capital, 18.9 versus 9.9. .9. So some positive things here. Let's see what you got going forward, Chase. Yeah, we'll start current price here for 3M. Again, MMM is that, that ticker symbol. 
$111.26. The 52-week high here, $154.66, and the lows, $106.76. Year-to-date, the stock's down 6%, and over the last one year, it's down about 22%. While I go forward to December 2024, I do see estimated earnings per share of $9.49, which gives a target sell price of $157.53, which means it trades at a forward PE multiple of around 12. That would pay place it in the buy category for us uh, based off the, the valuation for the company. What was your target sell price again? 157.53. Oh, okay. And one thing I did want to point out is this year, it looks like earnings are estimated to decline about 14%. Next year, they're estimated to re-accelerate around 10%. And one thing that I, I wanted to know more about with 3M is they were a benefactor from COVID. The masks. Uh, the mask. That's right. And I don't know how much of their business came from that, though. But if they got a big influx of cash, let's say, that could be one reason why sales and earnings could be declining. But again, I don't know, uh, just very surface level here, how much of that business was a big benefit to them. And, and, and I, I know they have a lawsuit. I forget what the lawsuit's about. That's a very important factor. And one thing I did notice, too, that uh, 90 days ago, uh, the uh, estimated earnings for 2024 were 1104. So they're coming down quite a bit. Uh, does that say that you have the potential they're going to lose this lawsuit, not pay out billions of dollars. Um, I also do see the range is pretty high in that uh, estimate you gave. It's a uh, low 820, uh, high 1020. There's 19 analysts. But I, I, I like, this is the type of company that I like, and, and I almost feel it's worth the research um, to look into it. Uh, the thing you don't know is where, as a conglomerate, where does it fit? Because we, we like to buy, you know, food company, insurance company, transportation company. Conglomerate's kind of hard because they've got everything in their portfolio. And, and that's one thing that concerns me. I like the name 3M. I like a lot of their concepts. I mean, they do like scotch tape. They do, you know, like I, I bought posting, some of their- Posting you know, notes, posting yeah. Notes. I mean, <laughs> they do a lot of just simple things. It's a very simple business, but then it gets more complex because of that conglomerate factor. And, you know, I, I want to buy it, but the issue I have is when you're a conglomerate, it gets so hard to manage the company yeah. because there's so many different things going on. And it's hard to be an expert in, you know, We'll call it, I don't know how many different businesses they have, but we'll call it 10 different businesses. It's very hard to be an expert in 10 different businesses at the right, same time. Right. And I, I believe their stock price was, uh, I want to say, over 200 at one point in time. I, I mean, think. I saw their five-year return is down like 50, I don't know. No, 40, five-year returns down 42%. Yeah, 42%. And I, and I think their stock was, was over 200 or close to 200, which means this company's you know perhaps on a 50% sale. So I, I, I like it. But again, before we invest in a company, it's 10, 15, 20 hours of research. We're looking at some other companies now, but I, I just always think about 3M, but it would take a lot of research to understand what's going on. And I bought companies before with lawsuits uh, and it did very well because they eventually do settle. Uh, many times it's insured. You gotta look yeah. at that because the insurance step in and kind of cover it for them. It's also tax deduction for them. So um, it could be that all that's baked into their price right now and you could get a great company, good conglomerate at a, a decent price. So uh, going back to Tom's question, Tom, I mean, it may make sense to add to it. Again, I would really uh, encourage you to look more at what the company does, uh, what the lawsuit is. And if you own, I'd say more than two or 3% of the portfolio, that that's enough to own that to it. And I, I think the COVID benefit would be a, a benefit because I think COVID now- COVID benefit would be a benefit. Because they got that big spike in sales. Right. And I think one reason the stock is falling is now because sales and earnings are declining. So if that they got a big benefit from that, well, we know that now that's coming down, but then they can reaccelerate the business. So um, it's 
kind of a negative benefit. Well, and, and that's when you you want to buy a, a stock, an equity, when it has bad news. You mm-hmm. don't want to buy when everybody, oh, we love this company, we love this company. You, you're just joining the crowd, and you're probably overpaying for it. Uh, what was a Ford PE on this? I think you said about 12, 12. 12. I mean, that, that's pretty attractive. I mean, you compare that to uh, the high flyers, the Microsofts at, what, 30, and, and all these other ones. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Um, and what will happen, and I people think, oh, the market's going to crash this year. I, the overall market, maybe the NASDAQ will have more problems because they're still very pricely. You buy a 3M at 12 times forward earnings, I, I would say in two to three years, you're probably going to make a, a decent return. Plus what, 5% dividend? Is that what it was? Yeah, 5% dividend. So there's 15% over three years right there. Yeah, yeah. I, so. I mean, at, at 5.4% even. And I, the thing I was going to say as well is it, it seems like conglomerates are so much less common than they were several years ago. I mean, obviously you've had GE, right. which has now been spinning out different businesses. I mean, that's something that maybe 3M does as well. And maybe that benefits them. It gives them optionality. And if you're getting these companies at a, a good value, you know, they could simplify those businesses. And I generally like to see when companies go through those restructurings, as long as you get them at a good value, right. because then they can create more value for its shareholders. So, I mean, that's a very big speculation on my part, but it, it, it's something that, that could happen. Yeah. And, and we have a, what we call a watch list. I think there's like six companies on there now. I would kind of like to add 3M to that. Um, but it's just, I, that's why I love doing this. I mean, it's so exciting looking at these businesses and so forth. It, it, I, I would love to just, you know, read all the time and, and do that. I guess that's what Warren Buffett does. But uh, my fiance would not be very happy about that <laughs> because like, oh, we got to go to the dance, you know, we got <laughs> you know, all this other stuff. But it, it, it's just, I, I, I like 3M. I have a, a feeling that it's worth getting into, but you got to do the research no matter who the company is because it could be something that could blindsided down the road. And I'll tell you what, it's not going to go to 200 next year. No. Or no. very unlikely it does. But as you said, I mean, you get that 5.4% dividend. Let's say the stock goes from 110 to 130. I mean, you've made a very nice return there on this company. I, and I was going to say uh, from 111 to to um, uh, 121 uh, and the dividend over three years, that's a 25% return in three years. I'd, I'd be pretty happy with that. It's about an 8% gain over three years. Uh, and I think that would even be low over three years. Yeah. I think you'll see much more in that company. Buying, yeah. buying what what the, the... The further research is. Further research, yes. I want to make sure we stress that. All right, phone numbers here. Gosh, all, all lines open. Uh, 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. you got an investment question. Maybe you're new to investing. Maybe you're not sure about certain things on investing or you have an equity that you're talking about that we're looking at or that you want us to look at that you're just not sure, should you stay in it, should you buy it, what should you do? We'll give you our second opinion on what we see based on the fundamentals that that, uh, investment you're looking at. Again, 833-288-0973. Well, let's go to our financial planner, our CFP, Harrison Johnson, talking about alternative investments and retirement accounts. Good morning, Harrison. How are you doing this morning? Morning, guys. I'm doing well. I'm calling in. I'm not in the I'm not in the studio anymore. <laughs> I know it. I know it. Kicked we miss you, you. Out. right? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I I, I find this interesting because uh, alternative investments and retirement accounts, and I'm 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 not a big fan of them. So I'm kind of curious what direction you're going with this because, well, I'm just going to give you the microphone <laughs> or the phone. So, um, <laughs> phone right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, I wanted to talk about this because um, it seems like it's been we've been seeing it more frequently where 
Um, clients will come over and they've got alternative investments sometimes in their IRAs that, that that's transferring over. So um, an alternative investment is something that's not your typical stock, bond, ETF, mutual fund. Um, it could be private equity, could be venture capital, hedge funds, commodities. Um, but typically we see them in some type of real estate investment like a private REIT. Um, so private real estate investment trusts are illiquid by nature. So if you buy one, um, you might not get your money back for a while or potentially ever. Um, so this can add an extra degree of risk. And as far as holding one of these in a retirement account, if you end up losing money on that, you can't write off the loss. That's true with any type of investment in a retirement account, but investing in assets that are more risky have a greater chance of loss. And therefore you could not, um, you could lose the ability to deduct that loss. Also, when you're taking RMDs, the lack of liquidity can be a real problem when you need to withdraw funds. Now, if you have other liquid assets in IRAs, you can take distributions from those other areas. Um, as long as your total RMD is taken, it doesn't matter from how many accounts or assets it comes from. So this is something that can be planned for. But if you had a, a lot of our alternative assets, you would need to deplete a lot of your other liquid assets to satisfy that RMD. And if you don't, whatever you don't take um, for your RMD has a penalty. Penalty used to be 50%. They just reduced that to 25% um, a couple months ago, but 25% is still a really large penalty in addition to taxes. Um, I was telling Chase, I was reading about an alternative investment company, and one of their recommendations for taking the RMDs from an alternative investment is just to pay the penalty on it. So, um, <laughs> not, a good, not a good recommendation in most cases. Um, and then lastly, and probably most importantly, the value shown on your statements for your alternative investment holdings doesn't always match its true value. For example, you might have something that has a price of $10 a share, but if you went to sell it, maybe you would get 50 cents a share or something like that. However, your RMD calculation is still based on that $10 a share. So not only are you paying more taxes than you should, but you could be paying taxes on assets that you don't even really have. Yeah, and I, I think it is so important because uh, a lot of people don't think about this. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people are just sold these products. I want to be very clear. When you said we're seeing more of this, again, it's mm -hmm. not from us putting people into these. It's, right. as you said, right. people <laughs> bringing money over. We will never touch these. It's just, in my opinion, something that, that's not worth going into. There's so many other public options that you can go into and out of. And these alternative investments, I think, are, are much riskier than people realize. You know, and I think these alternative investments, I, I do not like alternative investments, private equity, uh, annuities, all the stuff that people can't see. And, and they say, oh, it's much better than the stocks because stocks are, are volatile. You, if you understand how great stocks are, because keep in mind, these, these companies are, are regulated by the SEC. You can have all the information about what that's doing on, the, on these alternative investments, private equity. It's all behind a curtain. And you don't know what you're getting. And most of the time, and I forget the numbers, but most of the time they don't do very well but they're sold, and that's the problem. They're sold. They're not. They're not managed. And, and the other issue I have with it as well is, let's say you want to get into real estate because you think real estate it's a great mm -hmm. time to get into real estate. I, I'm talking several years ago, obviously. Right. But now you think it's a bad time to be in real estate. I want to get out of real estate. Yep. Well, that's too darn bad. You can't get out because you did a <laughs> private investment. So that's why I would never touch them. I don't like not knowing when I'm going to get my money back. That that's a big, big concern that a, a lot of people, I think, bypass. And again, these 
private REITs, these private investments, they still have the volatility. You just don't see it. Yeah, yeah, you just don't see it. And it's all behind the curtain, as I said. And, and I, I would think as a financial planner, when you see that, like, oh, gosh, you know, because you can't do anything with it. And you bring up a great point, too, about them being a retirement account. What if you've used all your other liquid assets? What do you do now? You've got to get rid of these alternative investments, probably at pennies on the dollar. And it's not even if you have to, you've gotten rid of all of them. That's a bad problem. But you still have to get rid of like good performing assets, perhaps. So you oh, have yeah. this private investment, and now you're depleting maybe good quality assets that that you have to sell because you don't have any other choice. Right. I mean, that's another problem as well. Uh, that's a great point, yeah. Because you got to sell good assets where because you got the bad asset, you can't do yeah. anything with it. Yeah. So Harrison, when somebody comes to you, a financial plan, and you see that, what do you what do you do? Well, in most cases, when it happens, the people that own them don't really understand what it is, how they got it, uh, you know, what their options are. So in some cases, we're able to get out of them. In some cases, we can't or, you know, it just doesn't make financial sense to. But it's something that you have to continually monitor because sometimes they, they're only, they can only be liquidated certain times of the year or, um, you know, it might take a few years to fully get out of something and, and you're doing it at, at a fraction of what the, the value actually is. So again, this is at a fraction of what the the value actually is. So again, this is it, it's it's sold as a way to invest in real estate, but it, it ends up acting more like a product um, because yeah. there are commissions that come along when when people sell these things, and you, you can't really get out of it. So if you want to invest in real estate, like you guys said, you can invest in public REITs that are much more liquid, still have the same underlying assets. Um, you can invest in traditional real estate. I think there's a lot of other better ways to invest in real estate if that's something that you really want to go down. But this is not a way that I would be interested in investing in real estate. It, it complicates things. Um, it, it adds a whole lot more risk. And it's just, I think there's a lot better alternatives. <laughs> and I think people get excited about the, how, oh, we have in real estate. And, oh, this is great and so forth. They, they don't look through behind the current. Well, it's sold behind the diversification. Yeah, yeah. Um, nonsense in my opinion as well it's like oh you need to diversify in different asset classes so this is a great option that, that pays me a very nice commission yeah well harrison thank yeah. you very much we, we appreciate uh, that and hopefully uh, a couple people learn that don't do alternative investments in your retirement account <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely guys well i'll see you in a few minutes yeah we'll see yeah today's our client event so yeah we'll see you in a little bit all right i just want to i want to say one more thing sure. On the alternative investment is kind of uh, not funny, but we have a, a client that uh, came over to us and they again have an alternative investment in there. And oh, we got this thing that we could redeem the alternative investment. Like, oh, great. So we can get out of it. Well, we called Schwab and they said, uh, at best, when I've seen this, maybe we get like 6% from the six. redemption of the position. So that's six cents on the dollar, you mean? No, no, no. Not You get the, you the full amount, but let's say you have 100 shares. You might only be able to redeem six of the shares. Oh, six of the shares. Because <laughs> <laughs> we, we got the letter and we're like, oh, great, we can get out of this. That's right. great news at the beginning of the year. And they said, well, it's it's kind of based off of how much they're releasing and the other people that want to redeem their shares as well. So then it's kind of a auction type thing. So you might only get six of the hundred shares. So at that rate, it would take you about what seventeen years to get out of it completely. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, don't 
return on investments. Yeah. That's that's all we'll say. Stay away from them. If you're sold them, say thank you very much and, and move on to the next one because it's it's not going to do very well for you. All right, phone numbers here, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. And I forgot to mention, too, if you want a free consultation with our financial planner about financial planning, he's on a fee base. He is not going to try to sell you annuities or insurance or alternative investments. Uh, go Give us a call at the office at 858 858- Five four six four three zero six eight five eight five four six four three zero six. Just listen to the prompt for Harrison Johnson, or you can go to the website as well, smartinvesting two thousand dot com. That's smartinvesting two thousand dot com, and just send Harrison an email, and uh, he'll get back to you about uh, a free consultation for financial planning. All righty, uh, let's go out to. Gosh, the, uh, I, I look over the, the people keep changing. I guess people hanging up on us. I'm trying to see who was here first. I think. Uh, uh, let's go out to El Cajon and speak with Bill. Bill, you're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Good morning, gentlemen. I'm looking to take a long-term investment in Boeing, ticker symbol BA. Okay. Now, when you say take a long-term investment, I, I, I think you don't have it yet. Is that correct? No. I'm At one time, I did own it, and I sold it many years ago, But so I want to get back in and in in on it and yeah i want to hold it i don't own any shares currently okay and i will tell you we are long-term investors we like that idea but the other thing too is you always have to look at your businesses because we would sell any business at any point in time if it became overpriced or the fundamentals broke down on it so being a long-term investor is good but you can't just buy it and tuck it away because who knows what could happen five years down the road if you're not watching it. With that said, let's take a look at the Boeing. Their symbol is BA, then the aerospace and defense industry. Uh, low float on it on the short side, 1.4. Only 59% institutional owned. That's pretty low as well. Uh, they still do not have a PE ratio, uh, no earnings. So that uh, the industry is at 70.5. Price to sales, 1.9, same as the industry. Price to book value, not materials. This tells you that their liabilities exceed their assets, and therefore they're not worth anything based on their assets and liabilities. That's a, that's not a good situation. And price of cash flow of thirty six point five versus nineteen point five. Now the last year earnings have done nothing. Uh, sales are up six point nine percent versus one point five for the industry. That is good. This five-year growth rate looks kind of crazy to me, 93.8% five-year growth rate. And I know they've had a lot of people like India and others buying planes. That's probably why you get kind of excited about it. Uh, the industry is at 20.6. They do not pay a dividend. They stopped that dividend, I think, a few years ago. Look at the balance sheet. Current ratio, 1.2 versus 1.5. That's positive. Now, no debt to equity. And that's because they have no equity. I do remember a year or two ago, the CEO brought on, I believe the number was about $40 billion in debt to keep the company going. That debt is still there, and that interest still needs to be paid, so I think a good look at the balance sheet would be important before you invest in into um, uh, Boeing on what that debt is. Now, the net profit margin is still, uh, and this is over 12 months, a negative 7.4% versus a positive 4.2, so they lose $0.07 cents on every dollar they bring in. Return on equity is good, uh, 31.1 versus 11.8. Uh, return on invested capital, a negative 5.8 versus 7.2. Chase, I'm very excited to see what you have to say about Boeing going forward here. Well, I did pull up that debt because you, you got me intrigued. And uh, yeah, it looks like in 2018, they had about $10 billion of long-term debt. 2019, $19 billion, So that was pre-COVID. Yeah. And that, that was still a huge increase. I don't know why that increased before COVID. 2020 jumped up to $62 
billion dollars of long term. Well, debt. they added forty billion, and that's yeah. how I got to say, "Wow, yeah, yeah. I, I knew I knew forty billion was there somewhere." It has come back down to about fifty one point eight billion dollars, but they're still uh, again about thirty billion dollars in debt, right? Which due to COVID, has to be paid, and the interest on the debt has to be paid. Yeah, yeah. And I was going to say this one thing that I would really want to understand if I did buy Boeing is how do they get through COVID? We know, again, kind of like I talked about at the beginning of the show, you can't predict these situations, which is why I would never want to be over in a company. This really, really hurt a com- company like Boeing. And, and for them to get through it, it could have really set them back quite substantially. So I would want to understand how they got through it. Those debt levels, that, that could be a major problem. But looking at the numbers here for Boeing, I do see the current price is $215.11. 52-week highs, $221.33, and the low is $113.02. I did look it up because I remember Boeing was around $400 a share. That was back in 2019. So obviously, COVID did derail them quite substantially. So it's come back down substantially from that level. But looking forward to December 2024, I do see estimated earnings per share of $5.43. It would give us a target sell price of $90.14, so not very attractive. But what I will say, it's not going to say that I would ever invest in it, but it's kind of funny to think Boeing has now become a growth company. Is They're looking at having their earnings grow at a very substantial amount because last year, you know, they, they are growing. They lost a substantial amount of money. This year, they're estimated still lose seven cents. But the next year, it's again that five forty three. And the analysts do in two thousand twenty five have an estimate for eight ninety six. So they're they're estimated to grow their earnings very very nicely. But I, I just don't like to to kind of guess in that regard. I, and I think they have a lot to work through is the problem. And it, it's I think a lot riskier than a lot of people would think to have a company like Boeing. Your mic's up. okay. Yeah. Okay, and I think too what uh, what to kind of look at with Boeing is that I know they've had a lot of uh, like India and I think some other places where yes they're going to buy these planes. How strong are those contracts? Can they back out of them? Are they just like like many times with housing like sign contracts, but they're not you know. So you got to understand that as well because right now everything is very positive on the news for Boeing. Uh, and when we buy a company, we want to be be confident that it's going to go forward. So I want to know how those contracts are they strong or not because and, if they go away a year from now this company could go back down to 100 they got all that debt and especially if we have a slowing economy especially a global economy i don't think airlines are going to be adding planes and, and we know that yeah. the airlines as well had a very difficult difficult time during covid what's their ability to continue to add to their air fleet so there, there's a lot of questions here uh it doesn't fit our build for a value company um i I can kind of see, I guess, the argument perhaps to invest in a company like Boeing because of that potential growth in earnings, but it's just something that I would invest in. Yeah, and with those earnings going forward, it's it's trading at a very, very high multiple. It, yeah. it, everything has to go right for them. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, Bill, we we as you can tell, we kind of hit it pretty hard. I know there's a lot of great news on it, but I, I think if you get into it, I I, I I'm, I'm going to tell you, don't buy it. Yeah. I don't buy it. It's, oh, I think yeah. it's it's risky. Yeah, risky. There we go. Already. Okay, thanks. The reason I like it is because who is their competition? They only have one competitor. And if you're going to go buy planes, you either have to go to Airbus or Boeing. Mm-hmm. So that's why I like it. Right. And and that can be very possible. Keep in mind that a company, and this under General Motors, they can file bankruptcy. All their shareholders lose everything. 
and the business continues on, and that could happen with Boeing as well. And they've got a lot of debt. What do you say? Sixty, fifty billion dollars. It's now fifty-one billion. Fifty-one billion. Yeah. So they can file. That's just long-term debt. Long-term debt. Yeah. Yeah. How long have they been in business for? Uh, that's irrelevant because there's well, GM was in business for what a hundred years, and they filed bankruptcy. Yeah. So never that's say. True. Okay. Yeah. Oh, true. they've been in business cool. forever. That doesn't mean that things can change because uh, when you invest, you got to look at you know everything in the past is great. But what do things look like going yeah. forward? So be, be careful there. Okay. All righty? Okay. Thanks, guys. I much appreciate it. I always appreciate your help. Okay, Bill. Well, thanks for calling. You have a good one. Okay. You too. Bye-bye. All right. Let's head out to Massachusetts and speak with Jeff. Jeff, you're on the Smart, smart Investing with Brent Chase. How can we help you? Good morning, gentlemen. How are you guys doing today? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Great. I'm calling about Nike, N-K-E. Do you own that or looking to buy that? I own that, and I'm looking about um, about adding to it, I guess. You know, I, I know, and we'll go through this, but I know Nike went way up, and then they've kind of pulled back a little bit, so I'm kind of kind of excited here to look at it here with you. Coming again is Nike. Yes. Their symbol is NKE. They're in the footwear and accessory industry. Only 1.2% float on the short side. Institutional ownership, 83%. That's pretty good. The PE ratio is still pretty high. Uh, 34.1, but the industry is at 31.2. We do see price of sales 3.9 versus 2.3. Price of book value 12.8 versus 39.4. And then price of cash flow checks in at 71.9 versus 44.8. And the peg ratio is 6.1 versus 33.3. And that's a positive, but with peg ratios lower, that's a positive. So I, I do like seeing that. Now, unfortunately, earnings uh, year over year are down 6.6%, but the whole industry is down 7.4. The sales grew by 4.9%, which was better than the industry growth on sales of 3%. Their five-year earnings per share growth estimate by the analyst is 6.8%. That is above the industry at 4.9. They do pay a small dividend of 1.1% and use 35% of the earnings to pay that out. Looking at the balance sheet, they got a current ratio of 2.7 versus 2.5. That's good. Debt to equity looks okay at 0.8 versus 0.9. Net profit margin, very good, 11.5. I say that because the industry is at 7.7. And return on equity is 36.9%. Uh, that's a pretty good. We like to see a company above 15%. So I like these numbers, but it kind of depends on, Chase, what you say, because I have a feeling that's going to be rather pricey on what we're paying for the earnings. Yeah, so to start here, current price for Nike is $120.94. 52-week high is $139.86. And, and the low, I remember this, is $82.22. I remember they had an inventory problem last year, but it, it's come back up substantially yeah, from that yeah. low. That was probably the time to buy it at 82 Yeah, well, I, even then, I'll say it's a little pricey. I'll give yeah. it a little, little bit away, but uh, year-to-date. <laughs> Up 3.7%, one year uh, down 8.5%. Now, going forward for Nike, I'll go out to May 2024. They do report on a fiscal basis rather than a calendar year. I see the estimated earnings per share is $3.98. We'll give us a target sell price of $66.07. So it trades at a forward PE of about 30 times earnings. I mean, uh, that's very, very price, pricey. We know the long term average is around 16. And, and one thing I, I, I've talked about before with Nike, I, I like having brands. I, I, mm-hmm. I don't like to buy retail centers anymore. I like to buy the brands. Nike is that. But one thing that concerns me about Nike is where is this growth going to come from? I believe there's more competition coming online. I mean, you look at a company like Lululemon, a uh, company here in San Diego yeah. that I love. It's uh, Viore. I mean, who? It's called Viore. I oh. bought you that for Christmas. The oh. very soft shirt. Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay, the shirt. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's... 
I uh, think there's a I'm lot. I'm sure he wears it all the time. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Don't say anything. Yeah, I, I can tell by his, you know. Yeah, what is that? Yeah, but it, it's, it's a... <laughs> yeah, my point is, is there's a lot of competition that I think is coming right. into this kind of athleisure type uh trend that really occurred during COVID. And the other thing, too, is COVID brought on this athleisure trend. I think we could see somewhat of a reversion from that. So my big question for Nike is earnings are estimated to grow 27% year over year. Where is that growth coming from? Yeah. And and Jeff, I mean, it, it is a great company. But as Chase brings out, I mean, where, where, are they, where is the growth going to come from? And how I know they're big for their shoes. Uh, they're trying to get other industries that, uh, again, maybe they can't compete at. I, I, I just... And I do say the earnings have come up from three seventy seven to three ninety eight, which is positive. But you're still paying what twenty five times earnings for this company? 30. thirty times earnings. I mean, it's it's well, they keep on talking about China opening up, and there's a big market for Nike. And and yeah. uh, you just said today, and, I, and I, this is something that I that makes a lot of sense. You know, don't buy a company because everyone's rah rah about it. Right. Buy a good company that's in trouble. And yeah. when they had that inventory issue, and the shares were like eighty two dollars, that's what I. That's when I started buying it. I bought it all at the uh, uh, inventory problem. So, um, I, you know, Nike was always kind of a popular brand. Everyone wore Nike, and they're, you know, they, they go shoes. They got apparel and everything else. But I never thought about it until they had that inventory problem, and the stock went way down to 82, and that's when I got in. Yeah, and and, that, and that's exactly what you want to do. And now you have the situation where now you've made about a 50% gain. Do you sell Nike yeah. and try to find another company that has a, a yeah, problem? Yeah. Not to say yeah. Nike won't go up because it has to fight a lot. It's got that brand name to it. But uh, and and again, if we do have a continued slowdown in the economy, I know their sneakers are expensive. I I you know, yeah. I know I'm not a big advocate of it. The other thing too is you bring up China. And yeah. I know that they kind of took some flack for it years ago using Chinese labor to do it. Oh, I'm yeah. curious how much of their supply chain still comes from China as we know there's a lot of rumblings about issues between China and U.S. relationships. If they do deteriorate further, that could be another major headwind for yeah. Nike. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. Because yeah, I was thinking about holding it. Or, well, now yeah, I, made a, I made a decent gain, maybe pot ways and get something else. And here, here would be my suggestion. Uh, sell Nike. Doesn't mean it's not going to go up. But sell mm-hmm. Nike and do a yeah. lot of research on maybe 3M. Look at 3M or uh, you know, I, so I was thinking about that, and I was yeah. thinking an Allstate insurance too. I was thinking about those 3M. You brought up some interesting points about 3M t- today, so I yeah. appreciate that. Yeah, because you, you, you did mm-hmm. good buying uh, Nike when I was at 88 uh, for the inventory problem. Find another company, another problem. Invest in that company. Alrighty. Cool. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. All right, Jeff. Thanks for calling. Have a good one. Bye bye. Yeah. Yeah, take care. All right. Uh, today, I'll open the phone line, but I've only got a couple minutes here, and, and uh, we are all dressed up today because today is our investment symposium that we do that's for our clients, uh, where we talk about everything going on in the economy. We talk about what's going on in the portfolio. Uh, this is something we do twice a year for our clients because, and our clients love it. I always talk about when I first started doing these back in 2009, we had about 10 people show up. We now have over 200 clients show up to it. Yeah. No, it's always exciting to, to have the, the client events, and it's uh so I'm going to come back from, again, vacation and ready yeah. to roll on it, but uh, it'll be a good time. Yeah, it's a good time. And they get a nice brunch. I mean, it's always hard because they, they you know, they're eating that brunch, what they're talking like, oh, gosh, that smells so good. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was going to say, though, on Nike real quick is just, you know, it's always a shame because um, I used to love Nike. I mean, in high school, like, we were in Adidas school at Poway High. Oh, uh, yeah, I remember and, that. And But I always liked Nike. But now... I don't think I think I have one pair of shoes that are Nike and that's it. I haven't bought a Nike piece of clothing in I think three to four years. Or those were the shoes that I bought. And you know, and I just bought uh, a pair of shoes um, 
uh, I think about three or four months ago because mine worn out, and I went to Under Armour. And I tried Nike, I tried. I just liked the Under Armour. They were yeah. more comfortable, they felt better, and they were, I think they're about 30% less in price. Is what I'm thinking, they feel better. Why am I going to spend 30% more just to get the Nike symbol on them? No, I'll buy the Under Armour ones. Yeah, so, uh, I, you know, that's the thing is consumer preferences change, and, and that's one thing that's really hard about retail as well, mm-hmm. is it's nice to have that brand because you kind of control the sales a little bit more than if you're like a distributor, let's say. But the problem is, is if you miss on the, some of the fashion trends and so forth, yeah, it could be some issues. And that's why you buy it on sale because you pay the high price for it. And this can happen where they miss the fashion trends. That will drop twenty percent. Yeah, <laughs> not to say 40 percent, but it will because they miss that. And now what have you got? Now you've got a company trading at maybe fourteen times earnings that you paid twenty eight times earnings for. You, you should have waited. And it's just you never want to be the guy that buys at the top. You try to find things on sale, which has been a philosophy forty years. Yeah. So, all righty. Well, this is closing bell. Thank you for listening to the Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purpose only and should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself, uh, Brent Wilsey, or Chase Wilsey at eight five eight five four six four three zero six. That's eight five eight. 546-4306. And be sure to visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. A lot of great information there. The newsletter is there for you. So go again to smartinvesting2000.com. Have a great day. We'll talk more next week right here on the Smart Investing Show. I did all that. And may I say. 